Well, Merry Christmas. Let's pray before we dive into the sermon. God, thank you for today. Thank you uh, for the snow that reminds us that we, through Christ, have been made white as snow. God, that your grace and your forgiveness has come uh, as Christ set aside uh, some of his glory to come to earth. God, he laid it by mildly. And I pray that as we look into your word further today, that you would show us more about the glories of Christmas uh, from the scriptures. And we thank you that we could be together today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, the joke now every year is that uh, I ask which passage is the Christmas passage, and Father Foose tells me it's the same as last year. Uh, so uh, I, I, we're going to be looking briefly into the beginning of the Hebrews, the epistle reading for today, um, and just uh, for a few minutes talk about some of the things that it highlights about Christ and what he has come to accomplish Uh, what he came to accomplish for us and for this world. Uh, Hebrews, as you know, probably was written to a group of Jewish believers, uh, and they were used to persecution. Nero was on the throne, we think, at that time, uh, and he was vicious in his attack against Christians. So one question that could have come to mind probably often for these believers is, where is God? Does he really care? What is happening? Maybe we ought to go back to Judaism. They don't seem to bother the Jewish people like they do the Christians. And I don't know about you, but have you ever felt that God was silent? That maybe you need him to speak, you need to hear from him, and he doesn't seem to speak? The recipients think of Hebrews, the people. They unroll the parchment and they begin to read aloud. These letters were not given to be uh, in, a, in a book at that time for them to study and read. They didn't have read through the Bible in a year programs. Uh, they didn't have uh, a lot of even the liturgies developed yet that we have now. But they would hear this being read to them for the first time. And it's hard to imagine. But think about being one of these people and hearing this. Long ago... At many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. And so a couple facts in here is that we cannot doubt God. He knows his people and he knows how to communicate to them. Even though there have been 400 years of silence from the prophets, God was not done and he was still going to speak. He's spoken in many different ways throughout history. And and we know from Adam in the cool of the day in Eden, Jacob in a dream, Moses face to face, Elijah in a still small voice, Ezekiel in a vision. And when the people needed it most, he spoke. And in Hebrews, the case is made progressively that Jesus is greater. He is better. He came to fulfill all of those prophecies. So the God of history in these last days is spoken by his son. Jesus is the final and full revelation of God. And he came in a way that we can understand and relate to. That's what Christmas is about, the incarnation. Jesus is the last word, really. And not to be cheeky about it, but Jesus is the final revelation. He fulfills all of it. So we can't doubt God, the Hebrews learn, and we also can't go back. There's over and over again in the book of Hebrews, the call to not return to the old ways of Judaism, to not give up, to not stop worshiping. It's full of beautiful rhetoric. Over 25 times, the word better 
is used of Jesus, comparing him and contrasting him with every other thing. The writer had in mind to convince these early Christians that Jesus is worth living and even dying for as they're suffering for their faith. There are a lot of warnings in Hebrews to not go back. Don't abandon Christ. And there's also great encouragement to have faith and confidence in God. Hebrews 10.23, a lot of people say, is the kind of the theme summary of Hebrews. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. So hold fast, cling to the confession of our hope, because God is faithful. So let's think about ourselves a little bit today. You're not uh, under severe persecution probably in our country, right? Maybe from your family members or your friends. No, just kidding. But we don't, we don't face uh, the same type of thing that Nero was bringing toward the church and at the church. But it's possible that you've been tempted to go back to the old ways. Maybe your old man, the old woman, takes over sometimes. Or you want to return to some old sin. But probably not Judaism for us, right? We didn't grow up as Jewish people. I know most of you. I don't think you did. But it could be uh, something in your life that you want to return to. You might be wrestling with this now. You might be tempted to turn away from Jesus in some part of your life. And I think one of the encouragements today that we can find from Hebrews is we need to return and, and uh, with an with a explosive power of a new affection to Jesus. In my life, oftentimes, my faith in Christ becomes kind of rote. Do you ever get this way? We just kind of go through the motions of Christianity. Uh, We say things like fake it till you make it, which is a terrible saying. Um, But it's easy to fall into this. And so what makes Jesus so great that we ought not to turn from him into other things? A few things from Hebrews 1. Number one, Jesus is the cosmic Lord. It says in verse 2 of chapter 1 that he was appointed the heir of all things through whom he also created the world. Everything without exception. This is a title of dignity given to Christ. Later in verse 8, we heard read earlier, Of the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. And as we see in Colossians 1.16, everything was made through him and for him. He's the cosmic Lord. He's also, as cosmic Lord, not just the heir, but he's the creator. It says through whom he made the universe. John 1, we read that all things were created by him. Down in verse 10 of Hebrews chapter 1, it says, You, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning. The heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will wear out like a garment, like a robe, you'll roll them up. Like a garment, they'll be changed, but you are the same, and your years will have no end. Then in verse 3, it also said, He upholds the universe by the word of His power. So the cosmic Lord is the heir, He's the creator and the sustainer. That ought to cause us to return to Christ. And when we turn from Him or walk away or step to the right or left, it ought to cause us to run back quickly because He's the cosmic Lord. He's also the incarnate God, and this is obviously what Christmas celebrates mainly. God on earth, God in the flesh. He came so that we could know God. Jesus came so that we could know the Father. And it says in verse 3 that he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. We spoke about this last night 
at our church, but where in the Old Testament was the glory seen? Moses in the burning bush. The fiery cloud with lightning striking all around. And people didn't walk up to it and say, oh, God loves me and has a wonderful plan for my life, did they? They saw the fiery cloud or the pillar of cloud and they were terrified. At Mount Sinai, Moses was told, don't let the people get too close because they will die. The glory of God shone in terrified people. It was in his tabernacle and in his temple. And with those, the ark was in the Holy of Holies. And Yom Kippur, one day a year, one person, the high priest would enter. And he would have to go through ritual purification before he would enter. And no one else could even go in there. And it only happened one time, one day a year. In Ezekiel, we see the glory leave Israel in the vision by the Kabar Canal. The glory goes away. And and when the temple is rebuilt in Ezekiel, it doesn't come back. The glory of God leaves. And it's on this wheeled throne, this crazy vision that he sees. And the glory goes away. And it's called Ik Kavod. It's no glory. It's gone. The word glory could be translated heavy or weight. It's this thing about the nature and character of God, about who he is, that is overwhelming. It's powerful. It's not, we're not able to behold it. But then Jesus comes, the exact imprint, like a, like a seal, like a wax seal with a stamp. Jesus shows us who God is. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory of God has returned in Christ, and we can behold him because of Jesus. We can behold God because of Jesus. So not only is Jesus the cosmic Lord, he's the incarnate son, but he is also the priestly king. And after making purifications for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So when Jesus came, he purified us through his death, burial, and resurrection and his perfect life. Part of the reason he is the final word is because he accomplished this. He has made us clean. Sin pollutes us and we need redemption. It's done. And I heard this mentioned several years ago and I'd never thought about this before. But in the furnishings of the temple, there's nothing to sit on. They were never done. The, the ritual and the, the, the sacrifice and the worship was continuous. But it says, after making purification for sins, he sat down. Incredible. It's finished, he said. For the first time in the history of redemption, a priest sat down, the great high priest. And he's the perfect high priest. Once and for all, made purification for the sins of all who will believe. It's finished. And where does he sit? He sits on the throne at the right hand of the majesty on high. So for us, in in the the Hebrews world and time, they lived in a very pluralistic society. And this would sound intolerant, just like it does sometimes in our society. Jesus said and did things that would have blown your mind had you been there. So let's let it do it again in our hearts and minds today. In Luke 10, he's speaking of demon possession and and dealing with casting demons out. And he said, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. And the people around him were thinking, what are you talking about? How do you know about Satan before the creation of humanity? Matthew 23, 34, he said, I send you prophets and teachers and wise men. Jesus said, I'm the one that's been sending all these prophets and all these teachers. 
His, in his self-understanding, he was transcendent, uncreated, the beginningless God of the universe. And so as we think about Christmas this year, what does it have to do with us? It has everything to do with us. Listen to this quote from N.T. Wright. How can you live with the terrifying thought that the hurricane has become human? The fire has become flesh. That life itself became life and walked in our midst. Christianity either means that or it means nothing. It's either the most devastating disclosure of the deepest reality of the world, or it is a sham, a nonsense, a bit of deceitful play-acting. Most of us, unable to cope with saying either of those things, condemn ourselves to live in the shallow world in between. So what does it have to do with us? Well, the first thing is you're not the center of the universe. Did you know that? I'm not either. Christ, God made you. Your life is in his hands, and in him all of your sin can be washed away. You must not turn away from him. I must not turn away from him and pursue lesser things. All of our hope for life and eternity rests in Christ. Let's pray one more time before we continue. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that Christ is the word. And God, as we worship today and in the days ahead, may we be drawn close to you, God. When we turn to the right or the left or we are tempted to walk away, would you draw us back quickly? Thank you for your grace that has come through Jesus. Amen.